Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Extra Serving, a restaurant industry podcast by The Last Bite Network, a production of Nation's Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. I'm your host, Holly Petrie, here with the latest episode. Before we get into that, here is some news from The Last Bite Network that's been happening in the past few weeks. Be sure to check out the latest episode of Takeaway with Sam Okus, featuring Amy's drive through Over on Restaurant Hospitality, make sure to check out the latest episode of In the Kitchen with Brett Thorne, with two of the guys from Grove Bay Hospitality, which own a bunch of restaurants in Miami. And now it's time to introduce my two co-hosts for this episode. My name is Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief of Nation's Restaurant News. And I'm Brett Thorne, Senior Food and Beverage Editor of Nation's Restaurant News. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Nice to have you here. Hey, thanks. So, so, so you guys are in such good moods today. It's nice. Everyone's oh, smiling. Just feeling absolutely delighted to be jazzed. here. It's a Thursday. We're feeling jazzed today. Well, let's get right into the news. Um, this is exciting. We never get right into the news. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, usually we have more funny quips and fun um, stories to tell, but not today. No, sir. We got lots of news. Today we're news only. We are deep into the news. We mean and, business. And the news this week is all about unions. Uh, everyone is trying to form a union. There's a lot of issues with the unions. Um, Starbucks is trying to fill, form a union. Burgerville's union was just recognized. Tudors is trying to form a union. They have an issue with the NLRB. So what does it mean that so many chains are attempting to create a union? And what does it mean for the industry? Well, it's not the chains, it's the chains employees that are trying to create the unions. Um, you know, it's, as, as you've heard, there, <laughs> there's a huge massive labor shortage all over the world. And the way I look at it is that hourly employees over the past uh, 20 months uh, really have had a, a difficult time. You know, they were laid off in mass numbers and then they're like, you know what, I don't wanna come back to these jobs that I don't really like. And in a way, the entire or a huge chunk of the workforce has gone on strike already anyway. They're not going to work. I don't know how they're feeding themselves or what they're doing, but they do not want to come back to work. So it kind of makes sense to form a union so you can have some collective bargaining and some say in, in what's going on. And, and I mean, I can't speak for the restaurant uh, companies, but they, they have to understand that the hourly workforce is angry and, and they need to give them some concessions or, or however you want to describe it, uh, better working conditions so that they will have happy employees, which will then bring them happy customers. Yeah, I think the the answer to the question why now um, that, that Brett um, was right on is, is I mean, workers are angry. Um, but also I'd say, you know, workers have more leverage now than they ever have had before because restaurants need employees. And right now there's a huge shortage. There's um, this incredible crunch for um, solid employees. And so probably right now it's that employees are recognizing that they have that leverage. They have that power to try to affect this change. 
by forming a union. And yeah, they're they're angry for some of these um, companies that are not moving fast enough with better pay and and better support for these employees. Then you know the employees are going to push back. Of course, the restaurant industry has always been sort of that last frontier for unionization because of its transience and because it is such a um, an industry that is dependent upon you know um, workers who are new to the uh, workforce and who again are are just maybe working part time or are going to leave to go off to college, you know, teenagers going off to college. It's just because of that transience, it just it has meant that unionization is a lot harder. Um, and so now I think you're just seeing that, um, you know, some of these companies that are, are having this unionization, I mean, look at Burgerville. I mean, I think one of the interesting things about Burgerville is that from what I can tell, and it's just, a few, uh, um, I think it's five restaurants within Burgerville that have unionized, um, you know, from what I can tell is Burgerville is actually, um, you know, much beloved company that um, does actually work pretty hard to support their employees. And they have worked with the, through the unionization and have a contract now with um, with those unionized workers. Um, so what's interesting is that, you know, I think for those workers who are looking to unionize, um, you know, in, in some ways, it's almost a vote of like, that they want to stick around. They want to be a part of this company and be a part of what's getting built, but they want more of a say, of course, and um, and, and they want more leverage and being able to have better benefits, better pay and those sorts of things. Um, so I don't think that the unionization necessarily happens at companies where people expect to, you know, quit in a few months anyway, because why would you go through all of that unionization? But um, but yeah, in, in the end, this is about power and leverage and the employees have the leverage. And so now they're 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 using it. So yes. what do you what do you think the future of these unions is going to be as we start to see them pop up more and more in the restaurant industry? What I mean, what do you guys think that the industry is going to look like with these labor unions involved? I think that, you know, the the direction of the industry is um I mean it might just speed up a lot of what's going to happen anyway. Um now I will point out of course that what what's happened already with unionization in the restaurant industry is it just a tiny little minuscule uh, um, portion of the industry, right? Because again, Burgerville, which is a 40 unit concept, it was only five of their restaurants that unionized, I believe. Um, Starbucks, same thing. It was just a, just a handful of locations um, going through with that process. I'm, I'm not 100% on the details on the um, with Tudor's Biscuit World, which was the recent news. Um, but by and large, you know, we're not seeing huge systems of employees pursuing unionization. So in the end, this is a fairly niche thing. And I do think ultimately restaurants will continue to be very difficult um, for unions to take hold uh, because of all the reasons uh, Brett and I were just um, talking about. But if you want to, you know, talk about companies who are scared of their um, uh, employees unionizing, um, you know, perhaps what it could be is a swift kick in the pants to, you know, you know, move forward um, toward uh, higher wages, toward better benefits, um, you know, more support for employees, which again, I think is that that's the direction we're going anyway, because there's going to be a certain point if you're not paying $15 an hour, you're just not going to get employees because there's enough companies out there that are going to pay it. Um, but you might, if, if there are companies that are afraid that, you know, of, of, of what could happen with unionization, then maybe it just encourages them to do that faster because it's like sort of do it or else. Yeah, at this point, market forces have forward past anything else, any regulation uh, or unionization that that if you want to have employees, you have to pay them above what regulations let you pay them. 
Well, and so an interesting way that we've kind of seen something like this play out, it, it doesn't really relate. It's not about unions, but the Boston market workers walked out on Thanksgiving, which is a very union-like uh, action uh, to, to, to stage a walkout. Um, they walked out on Thanksgiving. I mean, how can we, how does this impact the industry? Are we going to see more of this with the labor shortage? And how did it impact Boston market? Well, that was just one location, right? Just one location. Which still, like, to ruin somebody's Thanksgiving is, you're not going to be forgiven for that. And those customers who did not get their Boston market food probably aren't going to try to get Boston market food for Thanksgiving next year. And it is their busiest day. So at least on that restaurant, it had a huge impact. I don't know. I mean, it's it's really a pretty, I tend to be co-pro worker. I was, you know, raised to be a good lefty, but you know, to, to crap on your customers like that is really pretty awful. Um, and I, it, it seems like there had to have been a massive failure in communication between the employees and management for, for them to like pull that. It, it's really, you know, nobody looks good. Yeah, more than anything, this is a story of employees who have too much pressure on them to um, execute this restaurant with less resources um, and just not being happy with the, the situation that they've been given. Um, you know, obviously, walkout a bit different than a strike because I don't think they were necessarily saying here are our demands and you know put up you know they don't, there's no picket line here, but they were they were probably they were really just saying we're fed up. Like we're not going to, we cannot be, you know, we're short staffed. Uh, we had, there's too much expectations. We're just, we're not going to put up with it. And again, this is about how much leverage employees have. I don't know if those employees quit. I don't know if they're going to get fired. I don't know what's going to happen to them, but there are going to be other jobs waiting for them somewhere because everybody needs restaurant employees. And so again, that's a matter of leverage. So, you know, I think what that, the whole Boston market situation is, yeah. I mean, to Brett's point, Really terrible for Boston Market, because even though it's an isolated incident, those customers who ended up having their Thanksgiving ruined are never going to forget it. And so unfortunately, that reflects on the company, not on those individual employees who decided to walk out. Um, and so that's going to be hard for Boston Market to re-earn that trust. And, um, you know, again, even though an isolated incident, there is potential for this stuff to happen again and, and again and again, as restaurants do lack um, you know, enough employees to run restaurants. I don't know about you guys, but for me, you know, my personal experiences with the labor shortage in the last year, year and a half, I mean, I've sat in drive-thrus for 20 minutes. I've walked out of restaurants because the line is so long. I mean, it is really frustrating on the employees, on the uh, customer side of things, how much this has ground things to a halt. But clearly from the employee side of things, you know, good employee, bad employee, well-intentioned employee or not, you know, they're human and they can only go so fast and they can only go with, um, you know, the resources you give them. So at the end of the day, the lesson to learn from all of this is make sure your employees are happy, you know, despite the challenges out there, find solutions for them so that they are not going to be, um, you know, too pressured. There's not too much pressure on them to execute uh, with, with, you know, not enough of the resources. Just make sure that they can still pull off uh, business as usual, so to speak, or business as not so usual in the holidays, obviously even more of a rush um, with, make sure that they can do that without it being too much of a pressure on them because yeah, they've got the leverage to walk out and say, I'm just going to find another job somewhere else. I'm so proud of you for not mentioning a kid's story with your drive-through story. Oh, I could have, because let me tell you, do you want to sit in a drive-thru for 20 minutes with two hungry children? No, you do not. 
It is not awesome. And I have pulled out of drive throughs because my children are so fussy and I need to just go find food stat. So yes, restaurants, you're on notice. If I come into your drive through I expect fast service for my children. Don't, don't you have like breakfast cereal or something in your glove compartment, you know, hand them some Cheerios or something? Oh yeah. And look, I mean, I, I can get my kids chicken nuggets and they're going to complain that they're, that they don't want to eat those. I, I, I don't know if my kids are abnormal or if they are just, if every kid also rejects what you give them to eat and then complains about being hungry. But yeah, this is a multifaceted issue, to be honest. Maybe we should analyze that. Maybe we should analyze your children's eating habits next on the podcast. I was going to say, I put restaurants on notice, but perhaps my parenting should be on notice here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think our audience really needs us to go into great details about your parenting, which I'm sure, Sam, I'm sure you're a well, fine If we want to take 20 minutes here, sure. Let's just take a, let's take a, um, let's go on a take tangent 20. here. We can talk about my parenting anyway. We can move <laughs> on. Can we? Well, the, our last story of the day, our last story, guys, don't worry, we're almost wrapped up, um, is Velvet Phew. Taco. <laughs> is Velvet Taco was sold this week. Um, very interesting taco chain uh, with their WTF weekly taco feature. Um, they're just a clever chain. They do some really interesting menu things that Brett covers every week. Um, it's a menu tracker. So check out menu tracker online. Uh, be sure to check it out. Um, so Brett, you wrote the story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the sale um, and then kind of what the future of Clay Dover, who's become such a restaurant figure, is at the company, which we can discuss all together. Well, Clay, Clay is staying on. Uh, Leonard Green and Partners uh, took a majority share in Velvet Taco, but the, the previous majority owner, Al Catterton, and the founding company, FB Society, formerly Front Burner Restaurants, still have a share in it. So it's, it's and because I get an email from Velvet Taco every week for the weekly taco feature, I was very, I was able to very quickly get a response from Clay about what it means for him. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm staying on. The only difference is we have a lot more cash so that we can expand further. And it's not a huge chain. It's it's just 39 locations. So there's plenty of room for expansion. And Americans have a big appetite for tacos. So kind of kind of a good runway for them. Yeah, you know, we're, we're going to be a little biased here because I think all of us have a ton of respect for Clay Dover. Um, and, and for those who are listening, who know him, he's one of the easiest, most likable people, easiest person people to talk to in this industry, one of the most likable people in this industry, I think. And I, but he's a great leader. I mean, he's, he's proven that. And this is an exciting concept. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to eat there. I, I ate there once when I was in Dallas a couple of years ago. And every bit as good as it sounds, um, exciting concept too. They've got booze, booze and tacos, huge opportunity there by the way as somebody who lives on the east coast just an, uh, I've, I've said this before to a lot of people i'll say it again here publicly there's not enough good taco places on the east coast so hello white space come on companies don't just put that in texas like come to north carolina go up and down the east coast because and bring tacos your booze with you and bring your booze with you yes please um but yeah i mean look the tacos are um I think one of the things that Velvet Taco gets really right is that tacos, you know, you have your authentic tacos, which um, of course there's a ton of places, ton of independent places in Texas and California that are just like fantastic for that. And you want no, nothing else other than those. But as Velvet Taco and also um, Torchy's Tacos have proved, there's also a lot of opportunity to get um, playful and creative and fun with tacos. And so 
Um, those are the two companies that uh, I think are absolutely ones to watch for future growth um, because of what potential there exists around the country. And so that's seems like what that that's what this deal is about is recognizing that potential and, and fueling it with with some cash. Yeah, tacos have kind of become uh, like burgers and pizza, and it's a safe space where you can do culinary experimentation, and customers are more likely to try a new thing. Because it's just a taco, or it's you know already on a pizza and a burger, and, and they love pizza and burgers. So how bad is it going to be? I remember talking with Clay a few weeks ago for one of my um, profiles on the website about Velvet Taco, and he was telling me about their alligator uh, taco, maybe that barely sold, but gave them so much press that it was worth it. That they test out all of these really unique taco flavors for the fun of it, for just experimenting, and they don't always care how it does because they just want to have fun, which I think is like the coolest thing ever from a company. Yeah, great marketing platform. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you you want uh, you want attention more than you want sales. I mean, it, it, Tim Hortons just teamed up with Justin Bieber. And to, to roll out new uh, Timbits, which are their, their donut holes, they're calling them Tim Biebs. Uh, and those will probably sell well because people, people do like the Biebs, but it doesn't make any difference because they have a picture of Justin Bieber eating Timbits and that's a win. And that costs them a lot of money, I'm sure. I, and yes, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> Justin Bieber claims to be a, a lifelong fan of Tim Hortons, but... You know, I mean, how he's much Canadian him to say that, right? He's yes. Canadian. Of course he is. What are you talking about? Isn't right. every single, right. isn't it in their DNA that they have to love Tim Hortons? He's been in the U.S. since he was so little. He's been famous since he was like eight. I feel like he's no longer Canadian. Oh, I don't know. Do we want to claim the Biebs? Is that something that we're going to decide we're here? Claiming him. We... I think oh, we're, okay. I think we're claiming him. No, I'm I think reminded... Canada still is Drake. Uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of when, like 10 years ago, uh, Wendy's hired Nick Lachey to sing uh, love songs based on tweets praising the pretzel bacon cheeseburger. And, uh, and Nick Lachey is from Ohio, so he was raised on Wendy's and, and likes to dip french fries in Frosties like, like so many Americans and certainly many, many Ohioans. Not an Ohioan thing. As a, as the resident Ohioan on this podcast, I'd like to state that I do not dip my fries in Frosties. However, um, lots of Wendy's loyalty over here because I am Ohioan. Yes. When I was in Chicago uh, for school, people always dipped their uh, French fries in. Is it a McFlurry at McDonald's? Whatever the, oh. the ice creamy yeah. kind of thing is at McDonald's. Um, clearly, I know so much about um, <laughs> what I'm talking about. What industry do you work in again? Well, you know, their soft serve machine is always broken. So conversation for another day. Yeah. We've already had that conversation on the yeah, pod. That's true. <laughs> We're just we repeating not, ourselves. We're not revealing any secrets by pointing that out. True. Well, you know what? I will say I do know enough about the industry because I was talking to somebody the other day and they said that they had the meat sweats. And then they said that it was they smelled like Wendy's. And I said, no, you smell like Arby's because Arby's has the meats. So. Well You're done. welcome. I, I do know sweats. You, yeah, you have the actual sweat suit. Yes, yes, I do. That they sent to me. The privilege of uh, covering the restaurant industry. Sometimes you get really interesting clothing. Brett, I hope that you have an active eBay account. <laughs> no, I don't, and I should. Uh, 
maybe maybe to unload the Taco Bell onesie that I have. Yep. You haven't worn you that should. to the farmer's market? In in our most recent episode of Snapshots of Success, uh, Brett spoke with uh, an executive from Arby's and they discussed his meat sweats uh, and how he wears them to the farmer's market to hoard off people. <laughs> well, that, was, that was before I was vaccinated and I didn't want anybody to get near me. So <laughs> you know, I wore it to you know, be the airy guy in the farmer's market. Although I live in Brooklyn, so I can't. That, there, there's no such thing as scary person in the farmer's market. Are there, are there pictures of this? I'm just curious. On his Instagram. Okay. Um, can we put that on show notes? Is that a thing that we do? Can we? <laughs> I'll put the link in the show notes, um, but he's okay. at Food Writer Diary on yes. Instagram and Twitter. So be sure to check it out. That's right. And also, you know, I've, I've relaunched that uh, blog. I don't know if I can call it a blog anymore because it's, 2021 and blogs in kind of 2006, but you know, there's, there's more perspective for me about stuff. We're just plugging you this whole episode, Brett. We're just right. plug, 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 Brett Thorne. Brett Thorne champion yeah. episode. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty fun. My writing is pretty good. Agreed. There, I, I agree. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. We it. agree. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Brett, can you tell us to, to get more from you? Can you more tell about us about your interview this week, please? Yeah. <laughs> I interviewed Katie Cavuto, who is the executive chef and dietitian of WowWorks, which is the uh, longstanding owner of SaladWorks. But at the beginning of the year, they also bought Garbanzo Mediterranean Fresh, the simple Greek and fruitables. So her job has expanded. And we talk a lot about nutrition and how to get customers to eat healthfully or to meet them wherever they are. And if they want to have fried chicken on their salad, then you give them fried chicken on their salad. It's a, I think it was a very interesting conversation that all of you will enjoy, dear listeners. Everybody will enjoy. Yes. Well, thank you so much and everybody enjoy our episode. Katie Cavuto, the executive chef and dietitian of WowWorks. Nice to meet you. How are you? Nice to meet you. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. I'm very glad to talk to you. You know, I think we're supposed to talk about SaladWorks, but I want to talk about all of WowWorks, which is SaladWorks, Garbanzo, the Simple Greek, and Fruitables. Exactly. And that some of those are pretty recent acquisitions, right? Like Garbanzo you guys got last year. So all of, so SaladWorks is, has been kind of our staple brand. And at the beginning of this year, we acquired Garbanzo, TSG, or the Simple Greek, and Fruitables. And there's the hopes that we will acquire a couple of more by the end of the year, or if not soon after. Yes. Wow. And you can't tell me what they are, can you? We can't. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. So... (laughs) If I did, I still probably wouldn't be able to tell you, but, no, but no. I, what but, I can you know, tell you, yeah. If you let <laughs> it slip, that'd be fun for me. It would be. I don't know if it would be fun for me. Right. But. And, and so then in the long run, it wouldn't be fun for me. Exactly. Because you don't want to burn bridges that way. Definitely not. Definitely for the, not. for the literally like 12 people who would like be excited by that scoop. The instant gratification of it. Yeah. You know, it, it's not worth it. This is something no. I learned early on as a journalist. So tell me about, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty familiar with these concepts, but why don't you tell our audience about? Sure. 
So I think one of the most important things about all of the concepts it, that's important to us is that they really, they're all, um, they're all very health driven. Um, all of the concepts have the mission to nourish, to provide foods that um, are going to be healthy options, which can be, you know, harder to find few and far between, especially in those fast casual concepts. So that's really something that's important to us as a brand, which I think is also why I hold two, I, I wear two different hats, both as executive chef and um, as a registered dietitian as well, because that the nutrition focus is something that is really important to me and has always been important to me. And I feel really fortunate that I get to integrate both of those passions into these brands. So Salad Works has been around for 30 years, which is pretty amazing. It was the first of the fast casual salad concepts. And um, we still really pride ourselves on that and the number of fresh, healthy ingredients that we provide different than some of the other brands, Salad Works. The core of our brand really is create your own because we have over 60 ingredients that our guests can choose from. That's something that people gravitate towards when they really want to be original and be able to create something that is going to meet their specific needs, which we know is different for everyone. Um, and then Garbanzo is a Mediterranean concept based out of Denver, really similar. Um, lots of build your own, create your own capacities from salads and rice bowls. And then also we dive into more traditional fare around gyro and stuffed pita, but the the quality of the ingredients, the sauces, um, lots of made from scratch ingredients and just really, really fresh and healthy and simple, which is what I love because the ingredients really speak for themselves. And TSG, very similar, um, or the Simple Greek. It, and the Simple Greek just traditionally is geared a little bit more towards traditional Greek fare, whereas Garbanzo is more all-encompassing of the Mediterranean. We draw flavors um, from Israel and even North Africa. So you're going to get, it's more of a cultural melting pot, whereas um, the Simple Greek is going to be focused a little bit more on Greek fare. Though we are trying to kind of integrate both of them so that all of those Mediterranean flavors really have um, some room to shine and grow within each brand. And Fruta is fun. Fruta bowls is just really fun. That is our smoothie bowl concept. So it's acai and pitaya, um, as well as smoothies and toasts. And the thing that I love about Fruita Bowl is it is really geared towards a wide demographic. I love that we've got younger tweens and teens that, that come in and find the fair to be fun and creative. And then we have more of a health conscious guest, as well as those that are looking for something that is healthy, but decadent at the same time. Um, one of our favorite offerings is our Frutella Bowl, which is strawberries and banana on an acai base, um, peanut butter, Nutella, coconut. So it's kind of like the best of the best of both worlds. Feels like a sweet treat, but you're also getting all of those beautiful health benefits. Yeah, it's nutrient dense, but also rather energy dense. Like, exactly. Not great for diet. <laughs> exactly. That's a very nice way of saying. <laughs> um, 
And 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 Fruitables also has like almond butter toast and things like that, right? Exactly. So they have toast, right? So we do avocado toast. We have a really beautiful toast with a brie spread on it that's more savory. Um, and then yes, we've got all of those, all of the um, almond butter, peanut butter, and lots of fun boosts like chia seeds and flax seeds. So you can really, again, you can create something that really meets your needs and caters to who you are. It's all about, you know, your originality in all of our brand concepts. So being being a chef at several chain restaurants and also a dietitian has to be kind of challenging in that your guests don't know a whole lot about nutrition from what I've observed. So like, so what are some, what are some uh, misconceptions that are common misconceptions that you think your guests have and therefore Americans in general have uh, when it comes to nutrition? So, I mean, I think one of the most common misconceptions is that nutrition is one size fits, fits all and it isn't. Um, we all have such individual needs and this take calories and fats out of it and look at actual food, the foods that work for our bodies, right? We hear a food like kale and I think media has, you know, in nutrition has become very loaded because of new, the media messages. And we're constantly being fed information about what's good and what's bad and what we're not, it disconnects us from our own bodies. And the fact that we need to take a step back and say, okay, just because kale is healthy, doesn't mean that it's necessarily right for me or it makes me feel good. And what does, what does that look like, right? So that's after many, many years years in the nutrition industry and even on the media side of it, that's the thing that I think is the most important is how can we kind of reconnect with ourselves and really connect with what, which foods make me feel good and why, which foods are nourishing to me and to step out of all of the messaging and connect with our own personal needs because that's where we get messed up a lot, right? And, and it changes constantly. One day fats are good, one day fats are bad, one day carbs are good, one day carbs are bad. And the reality is our bodies are constantly changing too. So even with the seasons, right? So what works for us in the summer might not feel as good when it's colder out. So that's, my, that's the biggest thing that I recommend to people is kind of take a step back, connect with yourself, and the ebbs and flows of what makes you feel good. With, with that common mantra, I think of, I eat to nourish my body. And that takes so much of the kind of negativity out of it, right? It's just saying I eat to nourish my body and kind of accepting all of the gray area that lies within that. And that we, we can eat foods that are delicious, right? And not feel bad about them. If we're just constantly coming back to like, I'm eating to nourish my body at the same time. Right. Right. And eating should always be an affirmative act. Exactly. And and to me, some to watch people freak out about a specific ingredient. Like I still remember, I think it traumatized me being at this party and this, this woman was very concerned that her Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or whatever didn't have dried cherries. And she wanted to know, figure out if she could have dried cranberries instead. And I just like, lady, just have some fruit. It's fine. It's okay. Yes. I always say that to people, the stress that we, the stress that is created 
around our like food neuroses is far more debilitating than the foods themselves. <laughs> Thank you for saying that as a dietitian, because as, as a, a lay person who doesn't know anything, I say that all the time, but I say, I don't really know. Right. I hope it's true. And here's the thing. We know ultimately, like we know when we are eating to nourish our body and we know when we're not, we know when like the pendulum has swung a bit too far one way and when we might need to bring ourselves back. Right. So I think we just all need to exhale a little bit and find more enjoyment in all of our experiences really. Yeah, I get bummed out when people eat dark chocolate, not because they like it, but because it's better for them than milk chocolate. And I'm like, don't eat chocolate for nutrition. Eat chocolate for happiness, which is wonderful for your health too. You know what I say? I call it the woes of turkey bacon. So literally, right, we eat turkey bacon because, and some people love turkey bacon and that's great. I mean, we eat all all of the things in our house. There's days for turkey bacon when that's what we're craving and days for other things, right? But when we eat something, to replace something that we we actually want, right? That's what I call it, the woes of turkey bacon because we're never satisfied. And, and then if we don't have satisfaction, we're constantly looking for more and more and more. When if we just ate the bacon in the first place, we would have been completely satif- satisfied, stepped away from the eating experience and have moved on. And instead we probably consumed far more food than we needed of things that we didn't even want, right? Trying to find that satisfaction. So there's something to like eat the chocolate in actually enjoy it actually enjoy it and then move on with your life right don't eat all the chocolate exactly have, have one hershey's kiss for example and taste if it. that's what you love but we've yeah, forgotten we it, have forgotten to even taste our food which i think that in itself like there is something to that i remind people of that all the time if you're if you're gravitating towards a food because you enjoy it like I think about that beautiful Nutella bowl at Fruitables. If we're gravitating, then taste it, taste it and enjoy it and actually get the experience from it. Yeah, I'm always embarrassed when I shovel food in my mouth and forget to taste it. We, but we do it all the time, don't all we? The time. And it's yeah. All the time. All and it's my job to taste food. That's like <laughs> something I'm supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is one benefit of kale. You're going to have to chew it for a while. And so, you true, know, you're going to taste true. it. And obviously it's nutritious. All the brassicas are very nutritious and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, and it can taste good. Yeah. Especially if that's what you're in the mood for. And that's where, you know, my hope is that throughout the pandemic, like people reconnected with food in a different way than they had been, right? Like it created a little bit more time and space for us to connect with food and all of the experiences in it. And that's actually one of the things that we did at SaladWorks was we, we during the pandemic, decided to use that time to actually introduce new menu items. So we introduced all of these global flavors in the sense to, okay, let's take this time and let's take people on a culinary adventure. Let's take them around the world. And we, um, we introduced a new Mediterranean salad that has zaatar roasted cauliflower on it so that we can look at like take that eating experience and allow it to transport us, right? Um, we did an Asian crispy chicken salad to, but introduce again, new flavors. We did a chili sauce on the chicken to just get people inspired and excited because that's what food does if we allow ourselves the opportunity to engage with it. So what, what kind of chili sauce was it? Was it like a sweet Thai chili sauce? Yeah, sweet Thai oh, chili yeah. sauce. So we put a sweet Thai chili sauce on the chicken 
And yeah, then um, introduce some sweeter flavors into the salad like oranges and, and balanced it out with pops of color from carrots and edamame. Um, and we did that. So we introduced a new menu in May and looked at that as an opportunity to really inspire people at a time where they needed some new inspiration, right? So we actually introduced six new menu items. Um, we did a Southwest Chipotle Ranch salad, which has a nice little fiery kick to it, um, but also looking at ways that we could introduce new flavors within a familiar um, foundation, right? Because that's, I think, that the way that people they can tiptoe into food a little bit more easily when it's introduced in a way that they feel comfortable with. So even within the Mediterranean salad, um, more ingredients that would be in a traditional Mediterranean salad, like your cucumbers and tomatoes, and then looking at something like roasted cauliflower and adding a more um, interesting spice blend to it is a way to kind of inspire and create something a little bit more exciting. In a way, it's also kind of safer to limit the zatar to the cauliflower, because then if yeah. you don't like it, you pick it out, you throw it on the floor, exactly. whatever, and exactly. you still have a salad that you love. Exactly. Or maybe you have a new friend in, in the form of zatar roasted cauliflower. Exactly. And which I always say to people, too, is really just like a fancy Italian seasoning, really. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's a pretty, I mean, it's thyme. <laughs> and there's some other, obviously, there's sumac and sesame seeds, but the flavors that you get are flavors that you really are familiar with. Sometimes people are even put off by a word or a name that they don't understand. So one of the things we try to do, too, is introduce foods without all the hubbub around them. And then, oh, by the way, you just had that and you didn't even know it and you enjoyed it and it was delicious. Look at that. You're so adventurous. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And so the, the, salad with the crispy chicken by by crispy you mean fried so you're not opposed no. right you don't do some no, special exactly here's the thing again i i don't believe in good and bad foods i no. think that there is a place for everything we just have to be mindful of the way that we're consuming right, right. so um and just because i choose to eat in a certain way doesn't mean that i, I am completely open and aware that our guests are all original, right? And everyone is even at a different place in their health and wellness journey. So what health and wellness means to every person is completely different. So if we're looking at that from that, just the mentality of allowing you to be original, right? Allowing you to, to meet your needs, which are going to change on a day-to-day -day basis, then yes, I think it's really important to have, there's that sweet dog barking. Um, it's important to have something for everyone and, you know, a little bit of a deck. I always say this, like a little bit of bacon goes a really long way to make a salad taste delicious. It's not about sitting down and eating six pieces of bacon, but being able to put bacon on your salad might take someone who doesn't gravitate towards vegetables to get them in the door and eating a whole bunch of really nourishing in ingredients that they wouldn't have tried otherwise. So to me, that's a win. Absolutely, yeah. If I, I'm going to have fried chicken, why not have it on a bed of delicious of lettuce, right? With cucumbers. Exactly. exactly. Do, you, do you also find that your customers behave differently on different occasions? Like there's, there's, I often hear chefs say that on Monday, the customers are good and they're going to eat the delicious 
light salad, whatever, and then gradually they they sort sure. of lapse. And by Friday, they're having a burger and fries and a milkshake, whatever. I mean, I think that's going to be different for every person because, again, we all have our own value systems. We all have our own stories, let's say, right? So, I mean, I think that there are more global ebbs and flows that we see around holidays, around the new year, when there is more of a collective shift towards healthy. But I think on a day-to-day -day basis, um, that's going to ebb and flow depending on the guests. But again, collective things coming off a weekend when things might be more decadent, sure, we might grab, has, you know, grab, gravitate towards a salad or something lighter earlier in the week versus later. I don't have specific data on that. Um, that's more anecdotal, but I, I'm sure it exists. Do we cater our menu to it? No. Again, one of the things we try to do in all of our brands is make sure that there is something for everyone. Um, but all of it um, gets people in the door eating a little bit healthier than they may have before. So that in itself is a positive. So you added six new salads at Salad Works. Yeah. Uh, what have you been doing at Garbanzo, the simple Greek and fruit rolls? Yeah. So I want to back up because we did more at Salad Works too. So we added six oh. new salads. We also completely revamped our sandwich and panini menu, um, incorporating incorporating in more of those global flavors. So um, that too has just added a little bit more dimension to the menu that we're really excited about. Um, and one of the things that we have done that's exciting is we have we have now have co-brands. So Salad Works and Fruitable are kind of a match made in heaven. Um, they're being able to walk in and get a salad or and a smoothie or get um, a smoothie bowl with a wrap or a panini or a sandwich for later. Um, so that is something that is fast and furiously moving forward that we feel really excited about. And something else that we have implemented is what we call store within a store. So we actually are taking all of our brands and putting them into grocery store concepts, Walmarts, et cetera, so that there are healthy eating options available for people, both a la carte and grab and go um, awesome. during their shopping experiences. So what are some of the new, uh, sandwiches that you introduced at SalaWorks. Yeah, so some of the new sandwiches. Um, in our sandwich category, we have a delicious avocado BLT that spotlights our green goddess dressing, which has been a SalaWorks favorite for many, many years now. Um, we also incorporated more decadent comfort foods like turkey, bacon, and ranch. Just those simple, classic, match-made-in-heaven combinations. Uh, that we know people do crave and gravitate towards. Um, in our panini category, we have an amazing vegetarian panini that encompasses a lot of Mediterranean flavors like tomatoes and pesto and roasted peppers and mozzarella. That honestly is one of my personal favorites, whether you're vegetarian or not. And I think that, that you know, that's something new that we're seeing is that gravitating more towards flexitarian plant-based eating, right? Which doesn't mean, oh, I'm vegan or vegetarian. It just might mean I'm gonna choose more of a plant-centric meal or a plant-based meal on a more regular basis. So I'm not always including those animal proteins. So we're always looking for ways that we can do that. 
Um, and in that sense, we actually um, added tofu to the menu, which is new to Salad Works. So we have a great roasted tofu and also a smoky chickpea as just a fresh extra that you can add onto your salad. So looking at kind of fun, creative ways that we can add more plant-based proteins for those people that are looking to um, mix it up a bit and decrease their animal proteins. Yeah. Have you been uh, using or playing with any of the the meat analogs like the Beyond yeah. and Impossibles and et so those are yeah so those are things that are definitely in the works um, and they work really well especially for garbanzo and the simple Greek um, because they are more traditional concepts where you're building a warm bowl being being having the opportunity to add something plant based in that capacity is is in the works. Um, and at Garbanzo, we have our signature falafel too, which we absolutely love. And we're looking at ways we might be able to incorporate that in across all brands. For example, adding falafel to our salads at Salad Works. So um, lots of places that we can kind of cross utilize um, those ingredients that we've spent time to really perfect and make delicious. That's, that's and smart. one of the things too that I actually, as we were chatting, um, that's new to Salad Works and is in line with Garbanzo is that we, with our new menu launch, we actually changed um, the structure that now you choose your base and you can pick greens, grains, which is a combination of brown rice and quinoa, um, or a combination of both, because we definitely see people um, moving towards this, the concept of grain bowls. And especially as we were saying, in the cooler months, a salad might not be as satisfying. So having the opportunity to create a warm grain bowl with all of the toppings that you love on your salad offers our guests a new opportunity to um, include those more nourishing foods and the flavors that they enjoy the most. And, and give the meal a little more heft. Exactly. Which sometimes yep. we want in the winter. Exactly. Or yeah. I joined a gym in September. Now I need to eat food with more heft because yeah. I'm yeah. burning up more calories. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we got salad works, but you inherited three chains in like a very short period of time. So how has that affected your job and what have you done with those? Well, it's made it a lot more fun. <laughs> I get to be a lot more creative, right? What was once very like salad focused now has expanded. <gasps> oh no. Um, so Fruitable, Fruitable, we are, we are in a menu optimization process right now, which is really exciting, doing something similar to what we did at SolidWorks, um, looking at ways that we can incorporate some new builds in our bowls and in our smoothies. Um, so that's really fun. And um, in the meantime, we have, we've offered LTOs across all brands seasonally. So for Fruitable in the summer, we did the really fun Endless Summer campaign where we spotlighted just nostalgic summer flavors like orange creamsicle and chocolate fudge pops um, in, in, into smoothies. We are currently at Fruitable doing um, an ode to the apple for fall, which is really fun because so many people gravitate towards pumpkin. And I, I have to personally say that I'm like so over it. So it's kind of fun to spotlight a new ingredient and also from a health benefit, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? Sometimes we focus on these superfoods 
that do have super qualities, acai, pitaya, I don't want to take anything away from them, but we overlook um, the fruits and veggies that we eat every day that also are really, really good for us and boast, boast tons of nutrition benefits. So we have um, spotlighted the apple. We have a fun um, apple cider donut smoothie. We made a caramel apple bowl, which is that perfect combination of kind of refreshing and decadent. We made um, apple pie um, energy bites and a brie and apple toast. So um, yeah, we've been, it's been fun to be creative in a totally new way um, with the other brands. With the yeah, Apple seems to be the uh, ingredient of this fall, which is great. And it makes sense. It's, it's the comfort fruit. I think it it's the fruit we probably eat second most. Banana is number one. Bananas. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and very, very seasonal. Very... And here in the Northeast, yeah, it's kind of yes. a big deal. We get really delicious apples around here. We do. Yeah. Uh, have you managed to like kind of rationalize the menus in such a way? I mean, obviously everyone's having supply chain issues everywhere. Uh, is that something that with four brands, you can kind of either um, increase your heft because of better purchasing power and be like giving me the stuff that I need or you know, rationalize so that, you know, the same apples can go to all four chains. So we're in the process of that right now. Obviously, um, that is the goal. The goal is to simplify, right? I mean, for everyone, especially with even labor issues right now, how can we simple, simplify things operationally from a distribution standpoint? So yes, that is all in process. And similar to what I said before, any places that we can cross utilize ingredients that are really amazing that we've put a lot of time and energy into all the while keeping the hearts of each individual brand because they all are very different. Um, you know, honoring who they are and what they are and making sure that that authenticity stands. Yeah. Uh, do any of them uh, of the concepts have like uh, pre-made items or a commissary where where things are assembled, like no. the cauliflower offside, anything like that? No, not yet. So currently everything for us is in store, um, yet we're making it day to day and providing it to our guests. Yeah. Which well, yeah. that's good messaging. So yeah. tell your customers that. Yeah. I have nothing against having things prepared in the commissary offsite if we can be more consistent in the quality. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what what is your own background, Katie? Yeah, my own background. Wow. So my background, um, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> Hey, you, you tell your story, however you want. I'll tell you my story. So I, I have a culinary nutrition degree from Johnson of Wales. Um, and from there, I did go on and get my master's in nutrition. And I have worked in many different capacities, both in the culinary and nutrition worlds. Um, I owned and operated a meal delivery service here in Philadelphia for many, many years, which morphed into a cafe at one point. And in the midst of all of that, doing tons of um, brand support. And from a nutrition standpoint, I've also worn many hats. I actually was the Phillies uh, dietitian for over 10 years. And handled, team. yeah, the baseball team. Oh, that's cool. Handled a ton of their, um, all of their nutrition, lots of their culinary. Um, 
So yeah, I feel really fortunate. I've had my hands in a lot of different things. I've now been with Salad Works and Wow Works for four years, and it feels like that perfect combination where everything I get to bring all of my passions together under one roof. But it seems like that's something that all chefs should do. I mean, their job is to nourish people. Yes. And, and I think increasingly they're, they're aware of that and, you know, yeah. want to provide food that is uh, delicious and also nutritious. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like customers are sometimes responsive to that. And then sometimes they just want fried chicken. And that's where I think it's so important to have something for everyone, right? I think earlier on in my career, I was far more nutrition focused, very kind of dug in from that standpoint. And it was limiting. And I was missing reaching a pretty big demographic because it was isolating and off-putting, right? So I think one of the best things that I've learned in just my own career is how to kind of take a step back and meet everyone where they are and understand that we're all on our own path, right? And as we said, that shifts and changes. And that's one of the things that we are able to incorporate into every one of our brands. So the person, because again, healthy means something different to everyone. So being able to have a 12 year old come in and order something that's going to nourish them and they feel good about having someone that is more fitness focused and might be counting macros, right? It's just, there's such a varying degree of what healthy means. And our goal is to provide something for everyone. And I don't mean this in a, in a dark or gloomy way, but no matter what we do, we're going to die. So we have to like- We have to enjoy in the meantime, yes. right? We have to enjoy in the meantime. And part of enjoyment I, is feeling good and doing things that you love and- exactly. um, And creating good. food that tastes good. And yes. that's what I think is so important is for the longest time. And I've always, I've always wanted to create food that tastes good. I don't ever want to say that that was not my focus, but again, especially- earlier on, you know, and as a student, it's so nutrition focused that I think we kind of lose sight of the other side of it. And getting back to this place now where we are really creating foods that taste good, that are going to be satisfying. And that is, I think the most important thing for every one of our concepts, are these foods delicious? And then yes, is it gonna be nourishing? are we giving people options? Yes, great. And that's equally as important. But ultimately, if the, if the food doesn't taste good, no one is going to eat it. <laughs> right. So they're not going to be nourished because they're not exactly. going to put it in their mouths. Yeah. Exactly. I, you know, it seemed like for so long, uh, quote unquote, health food restaurants or vegetarian or vegan restaurants were so smug about whatever, whatever claims they were making that they forgot the deliciousness part. Exactly. And that's what I mean. And then it becomes this very, it's very off-putting and it starts to make people feel less than if I'm not eating this way, I'm failing in some way, right? Or you feel uncomfortable going into those concepts because you're not healthy enough to eat it. And that is the last thing. We don't want elitist food, right? This is food for everyone. It is food for everyone that tastes great and that, yes, is going to be nourishing and delicious. 
And it's exciting that we also get the opportunity, I think, as a chef to educate, right? We're educating people through food. We're educating them on culture. Um, Garbanzo, for example, we are doing our winter LTO is all around Harissa. So we'll have the opportunity, which is a North African uh, red pepper paste, for those of you that aren't familiar with it. Um, and we have the opportunity and we're incorporating it in a vertical. So we're gonna be doing, we're adding some orange to it to kind of mellow it out a little bit. So we're doing a harissa orange chicken, um, a harissa orange hummus, and then a harissa orange sauce, just to be able to like add as a topper to whatever your plate or handheld is of choice. Um, but I think that that's such a great part of, it's a great opportunity that we have, that we're able to educate guests, educate them on foods, on nutrition, on cultures. It's very all encompassing. So every time you're coming into one of our restaurants, you're getting this like mini education and cultural experience. And hopefully we're opening your eyes, right? To something new and different. That's why people go out to eat. They're things that we don't make at home, right? The things that we make at home are kind of those for most of us. Some of us are more uh, adventurous in our home cooking, but the majority of people go out to eat to try something that they don't feel comfortable making at home. So we try to create those safe adventures for people as much as we can in the foods that we offer. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And uh, we're about out of time, but is there anything else you'd like to add, Katie? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I would just encourage everyone to try all of the brands. Again, we've got SolidWorks, Garbanzo, The Simple Greek, and Fruitables. There's something, something different at each one of our concepts, but we have so many new and exciting flavors that are on the horizon. Um, and like so many brands in this kind of pivot with the pandemic, um, making sure that there's availability and online ordering and delivery. So there's availability of all of these festive, nourishing, beautiful flavors, whether you want to dine in or eat out. Yeah. I, you know, I might do that. I might, uh, or I don't know if any of your brands are in New York City. So in New, not in the city yet, not in the city yet, in New Jersey, lots of fruitables in North Jersey and some simple Greeks as well. So maybe yeah. that's an adventure for me this weekend. Meanwhile, I have some lentils that I simmered and brown rice in the fridge that I think that might be my lunch. That sounds, that sounds like a garbanzo or simple Greek meal in the making. Fantastic. There you go. Well, Katie Cavuto, it was such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. And uh, I wish you continued success and best of luck in evolving these brands. Likewise, and happy eating. Remember okay. to taste, remember to keep tasting your food. Uh, thank you. Maximum thank you for that reminder. <laughs>